Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Swami, the CTO at Magna International, and we discuss the benefits of taking time to unplug and reflect, creating a culture where everyone has an entrepreneurial mindset, and the benefits of diverse product teams. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Swami, how are you? Good, Joel. How are you? Good afternoon. Excellent. Is that how I pronounce your name? Yes, you got it right. Where are you calling in from? Uh, a suburb of Detroit, Troy, Michigan. Okay. That's like home of the automotive nation, right? Like everyone in automotive is out there. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you enjoy it? What's the weather like there? Uh, it's nice and good today. It's in the 70s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited. I'm going to be up in the Chicago area next week. I'm excited to get out of the heat of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think usually it's the other way around for us. If you ask us in maybe two months, <laughs> we'll be trying to say, we're trying to get out of the cold and let's go visit Florida. Come on down. We yeah. love it here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a native to Florida, so it's just amazing how many people are not from Florida that are here. Yeah. And I love it because it boosts the economy. It makes life good. I'm a fan. Yeah. So were you born in Detroit? No, I'm actually uh, from India. I, I was born in a small village in India, in the South India. Uh, it the, the province or the state was called Andhra Pradesh. Uh, I was educated in a different province, uh, finished my engineering, in 1990, uh, worked for a couple of years in India as an industrial engineer, uh, then decided that I was going to go try the, you know, higher education, went through the exams and uh, lo and behold, ended up in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, in Oklahoma State University for my master's in mechanical engineering, 1st of January, 1993. So, like, did you always want to be mechanical engineer or industrial stuff? Like what, as a kid, what, what did you dream of? Honestly, at that point of time, I don't think I was that very clear. But if I do look back, I did enjoy uh, trying to solve problems. Um, you know, in Indian education system at that point of time, you have to pick uh, your field of major uh, so I picked a combination of, uh, it's called MPCB, which is mathematics, physics, chemistry, and biology. So I had the option to write the entrance examinations for both uh, pre-med or medical and engineering. Uh, the engineering admissions happened to come before the medical came through, uh, but I did uh, get both of them and uh, I, I stuck with mechanical engineering. I really enjoyed it. You had the choice to change after the first year, but I really um, liked the physical aspect of it, uh, the, the the design and something coming to uh, creation uh, and just stuck with it. And I'm glad I did. Maybe one day you'll make the like bio robots. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that, right? Uh, one of the projects that we work on is actually uh, trying to get the robotic 
uh, robotic applications as close to human dexterity as possible. Uh, we ended up seeing some applications in the field of medicine, like, you know, the surgery. So he said, if a robot can do surgery on a human being, I'm sure we can use those robots for other applications. And we started doing pick and place and inspection and so on and so forth. So if you have a chance, come by and we'll show you some of those applications here now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have you seen the hands that are like the chef hands? They can make food? Yes, uh, we have seen many type of applications in robotics, right? And, and the challenge of it all, I think we don't think about it uh, intuitively, right? Uh, we pick like a cup like this and it's full of coffee and it takes a certain amount of force to do it. Uh, but if I pick up an empty can, uh, your hand automatically adjusts the amount of pressure you put in uh, and, and the reactive feedback kind of tells you how much force you apply and so on. So there is a lot of uh, tactile, perceptive, pressure, force, and all of that. So we try to incorporate all of that to see uh, how we can find as close as possible to human dexterity, right, uh, in the feedback loop. So we studied a lot on uh, the end of arm, uh, you know, attachments to a robot for different applications. That is really cool. So that is that like in the R and D, or does that have direct does that have direct application today in your business? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Magna as an organization has more than three hundred manufacturing locations uh, in twenty eight different countries. So one of the primary uses is robotics, right? Whether it's uh, in making parts, in assembling parts, in joining technologies like welding and uh, so we encompass all kinds of activities. So we are a huge uh, application user of robotics. So one of the domains that we try to address in our research and development is uh, how, how can we effectively use them? Not just use automation for the sake of automation, uh, but to improve efficiency, right? Uh, so that being one of the research domains, and we have all of these 300 facilities that are always asking for what's the next step. Uh, so that's, that's one of the primary reason why we look into robotics, right? So we started off on a journey uh, which has different phases. Uh, one of the things that I just explained to you, we went to... Uh, you know, one of the institutions, uh, academic institutions, and saw some robotics and said, let's bring it. So on the first phase, we could pick and place, we could use the perception technology that's out there right now. Uh, so if you're from a manufacturing DNA, you will know that robotics today, uh, or in the past, I should say, are used to handling to a definite program. So you have to tell specifically, you have to go to this XYZ coordinate or follow this exact path and you know you put it. So it's a blind operation and all this has to be programmed. Uh, what we're looking at right now is not be that specific and not to be constrained by saying the part has to be here. Uh, the part somewhere in that vicinity, I can use the perception technology. I know what part it is. Uh, what orientation it is, I can just go pick it up. Uh, I can see whether the bin is empty or not. Uh, so 
you know, a lot of the things are avoided. And we're also talking about interaction between human, uh, humans and robotics. So if a person comes into the path, it knows automatically to adjust that somebody's in my path, I don't have to stop, I can go around and do things. So some of that has been already applied in certain factories, uh, so there are production cells running, uh, and we continue to evolve, right? What's the next thing? So it's easy to pick a part like this now, but if I have 30, 40 parts in all orientations and they're entangled, how do I separate them? Can I still do the same job? All that is the next step. I'm, I have the mental image right now of like Tony Stark in Iron Man when his uh, assistant's helping him build the suits. <laughs> that's a phenomenal analogy. <laughs> yeah, right? Because that's what, that's what you want. You want it to be assistive to what you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. So you started out in product engineering there? Uh, I kind of started off um, in what I call structural analysis, which is okay. actually doing the mathematical modeling uh, of different component systems, subsystems, and doing the uh, virtual validation. Uh, I guess in, the, in any field, that's a finite element analysis, as they called it. Uh, went through that process, then I thought it was interesting uh, not to just pass on the virtual validation to physical validation in proving grounds and testing. So I got involved in that. Uh, so you had both sides of it. If you felt comfortable with your mathematical virtual validation, then prove that it's good enough uh, in the physical world. Uh, did that for a little bit. Then I was involved in the product release, uh, engineering side of things. Uh, worked for a little bit in the component research and development phase. Spent a little time in uh, actually the operation side, you know, launching plants and launching programs, which is a completely different world. Uh, it's not about uh, thinking five years down the road, you gotta be thinking every five minutes, right? Uh, very strict timelines uh, to be, the, the final date never moves, right? When the car's gonna go production that day, means it's going to go in production that day. So that was a phenomenal experience. Then after I finished that, I uh, came back into the corporate uh, strategy and technology. So I've been in this role since 2013. I, I love the fact when I was looking at your profile, you've been there like 20 years and you've climbed all the way up from like an entry level position to being the CTO of the company. So I know how that's like an incredible amount of work, right? It takes like a lifetime to have a lifetime worth of great work. So uh, I know people probably don't tap you on the shoulder and say, awesome job, but I'm extremely excited and I respect what you've been able to do a great deal. Oh, thank you very much. But, you know, I have to uh, accept the fact that the organization is very unique uh, from, a, from my perspective, at least, and that's why I enjoy coming to work every day. Uh, it's really um, truly entrepreneurial in its spirit. Uh, if you have a plan and if you have a path and you have an idea, most probably you, you have the chance to uh, go through it in this company. Uh, it's just not me. I've seen a lot of people who've come with me and uh, the, 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 just the ecosystem around it is built that way. Uh, as some of my mentors, uh, you know, are people who work for me, uh, who have helped me get here. Uh, so I, I think that 
overall team spirit is what really makes you successful. And th that's the uniqueness in Magna. Yeah, because you know, I get to talk to a lot of companies of all different sizes. You are obviously a larger company. You have 173,000 people across the world, but I've never seen until reading this company's description, you actually say 173,000 entrepreneurial minded employees. So that's like baked into your culture then. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, they were some of the founding core values uh, when our founder, Frank Stronach did that. Um, you know, he always believed that uh, wherever the business is done, you know, like the operating division or the operating unit, the management actually has a compensation structure that's based on sharing the profitability of what they do every day, right? So they are true owners. I mean, I like to look at it as the 300 manufacturing divisions really have entrepreneurs running each division, right? Uh, so that's kind of inbuilt uh, into the system. Uh, so it's not just about a whole bunch of metrics. Yes, there are metrics, but ultimately it boils down to, are you accountable? Are you doing what you said you would? And if you have a good plan to take the next step, come talk to us, right? I like that you create that channel that like you say, this is the path. If you have this idea, come, come talk with us and you're open to it. You're not like, you know, I was reading you know, zoom, obviously we're on a zoom yeah. call now, but Eric is the founder there and he had been at like Cisco or Webex or something. And he had been arguing for them to rewrite their platforms that they weren't good and he couldn't get them to budge and they didn't want to listen to his ideas. And they just said, no, no, no. And shut them down hard. And then he went and created zoom and zoom ate their lunch. Right. So the fact that you guys have a culture that's opening to that, that's only going to strengthen you as a whole long term. Uh, absolutely. I think one of my mentors, I worked for, uh, worked for him when I came into Magna uh, in the late 90s. Uh, he was one of the gentlemen who found that a plumbing fixture, uh, a small company in Germany, uh, used water pressure to create the shape, um, you know, into the plumbing fixture. And his thought was, well, that's a plumbing fixture, but we have this fundamental frame structures in SUVs and trucks uh, that are two C-sections that are joined together, which is inherently a closed section, right? So why can't I take a circular tube, pressurize it with water, and let it take the shape you know, of whatever die structure that I have? By doing that, I don't have to have the process of putting the two C's together, uh, welding it all along. And as I input all this heat, there's going to be distortion. Uh, so he came up with this idea of taking the small plumbing fixture uh, technology and creating five or six feet, uh, you know, structural systems that go into the SUV subframe. Uh, and, you know, he came up with the idea, did it. At that time, Magna really didn't have uh, a presence in that product. And right now we are, if not the largest, one of the largest in the industry doing that product. Uh, that's one example of a person having an idea, taking it, creating a business case, buying that small plumbing fixture company and, and creating this phenomenal you know, product line. I mean, there's many more examples like that in Magna. 
Now, have you guys, this is slightly off topic, but are any of your parts uh, involved with the Tesla brand? Uh, some, yes. Uh, we what? do, we do supply awesome. some systems to uh, Tesla too. I mean, pretty much uh, all the major OEMs in the world, I think, uh, we do supply uh, different systems. They, 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 that's the other uniqueness of Magna. We have powertrain, we have electric, uh, the ADAS electronics, we have seating, we have body in white and structural systems. Uh, and, and you know the other unique part? Magna actually makes the entire vehicle for OEMs. Uh, contract manufacture the entire vehicle. Right now we make the part volume of the BMW 5 Series. They make the Jaguar E-Pace and the I-Pace. We made the Mercedes G-Wagon for the last 37 years, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is very cool. That's exciting. Like I, in the public sector, I didn't know this brand, but after I started looking at this and seeing how involved you, you are in all the different automotive, you know, markets, this is unbelievable. What a, what a cool company. That's probably why you've been there for 20 years and you're so excited to, to continue to grow with it. Absolutely. As an engineer, right? You, you don't have to be constrained to one system or one component. You get to see a wide variety of products, how they interface with each other and come together in a, in a car or a vehicle. I love it. I, I was reading your article on LinkedIn about, I think the sentiment was asking the right questions. And you were asking some really big questions at the end of the article, like how do we eliminate traffic altogether, right? That's a cool, that's a big, that's a big thought. Like I'm thinking teleporters. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a few years out there, Joe. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's very hard given the earth is spinning and moving constantly. <laughs> exactly. No, I think, you know, we are in interesting times right now uh, in the automotive industry. I think the question that needs to be asked is, how do you make uh, movement of people or goods from point A to point B uh, economical, efficient, and still keep it exciting, right? Fundamentally, that's the question. Uh, and if you address those three things of keeping the excitement, uh, making it efficient, and uh, still keep it economically viable, uh, I think you address all aspects of the problem that we need to solve, right? And it's a big problem. Uh, so it's exciting times. What, is, what does your team look like? The teams, uh, the, the way we work, each of the operating uh, product line or product group uh, has a very detailed granular roadmap of where we are today, what's our market position, you know, how are we addressing the next three, five, six, eight years, right? Uh, the way the corporate R&D group functions is like a service. So let's talk about macroeconomics, right? Uh, the price of oil or the availability of oil or maybe uh, some of the things that go into the cost and extraction of lithium and therefore the impact on the batteries. Uh, we look at all of that stuff and just kind of boil it down to this is what's happening in the world. This is what's happening in the megacities. So how does it impact transportation very broadly? That's the first question. If we understand that well enough, or at least create a hypothesis, then we look into if that's real, if that's true, uh, what's happening to us as Magna, to our product line? What should we be doing now and how should we evolve? Uh, that actually feeds into the roadmap. 
But on the other hand, all the 300 divisions and all the operating groups come to us and say, uh, the I wish questions, right? You know, I wish I could do this differently. This is the uh, ergonomically difficult or, you know, costing us a lot or whatever the reason could be. So we, we create what I call uh, problem statements, right? Which goes back to what I was saying is, you should ask the right question, and then at least you can try to figure out how to solve it. Uh, maybe I'll digress a little bit and I give a good example. If you had asked the question, uh, how do I keep, uh, how do I protect the driver uh, when the car rolls over uh, or when it has an accident? The underlying assumption is that you have an accident. Now you're trying to uh, preserve the passenger and the driver. Uh, then you come up with the airbag and, you know, the restraint system and seat belts and, you know, how do I have the cage that's really strong even when it rolls over, it doesn't collapse and so on. Uh, but if the question is, how do I prevent an accident from happening? Then you start thinking about more preventive measures. And the presumption here is the accident is not going to happen, right? So the solution set is completely different. That's why I'm so focused all the time uh, we as a team are always focused on, are we asking the right question, right? Because you can find a solution to whatever question you ask. So I think we spend a lot of time on that, uh, trying to say uh, one part of it is the industry is here and it's a long cycle, right? Uh, the vehicles that are going to be manufactured in 2023, 2024 have already been sourced and designed and so on, right? So we should really have a outlook much further out uh, than in other industries. So we spend a lot of time in saying, like I said, okay, if mobility really becomes a service and not an ownership model, how does it look like? What will people look for in a product? Where should we be? That's the second biggest aspect of it that we try to bring. So either we add to the existing products or maybe say, you know, how do we disrupt ourselves, right, before somebody else does? And how, how do we create a different business model or, you know, a, a different way of uh, supplying to the industry? Uh, most of the time, that's where we spend. And in some cases, like whether it's robotics or something else, we see an idea. Uh, maybe the technology readiness level is very low. Uh, you know, maybe it's from a uh, entrepreneur who has a phenomenal idea, it's with VCs and so on. We work a lot with a kind of open to business mindset uh, where we say we take all these problem statements, we go to uh, universities, we open it up to entrepreneurs. The whole idea is if you have a phenomenal way to solve this problem, come to us, work with us, and we can find whatever arrangement is mutually beneficial and we'll help you understand how it can be applied in the automotive, how we can commercialize it, how can we scale it, and so on and so forth. So we do a significant piece of that over the last four or five years, we might have invested 300 plus million in different you know, investments, uh, the way I'm talking about. Um, so all of that is done at, in my team, the corporate okay. R&D team. So that's like its own 
that whole source taking problem statements and sourcing solutions, that's all done within your organization? Absolutely. That is very cool. That's exciting. Yeah, that, that's the fun part, right? I mean, the real fun part of the job. Yeah, especially with the energy from the entrepreneurial individuals. And then you're, you're smart enough to where you're bringing them in, right? And you're working deals to where you get to just add that to your group. And then they're, attra- they're okay with it and they're attracted with it because you have those people already there. Like you want to be around people who are similar and like-minded. So that's it's like your vibe attracts your tribe. Exactly, right? And not only that, we don't have to have a large team because we have this huge organization that has you know, phenomenal expertise in the area they're in. So we really don't have to have our own team at the corporate to solve the issue. Let's say we have a, you know, we are trying to uh, solve a powertrain problem, right? We can go to the powertrain group and say, hey, here's a phenomenal, you know, idea. Uh, if it gets to scale, this is what you could have on your roadmap. I don't want to create a set of experts again as an overhead. Why don't you send me five, 10 of your team members and they'll work on this you know, idea, project, whatever, for a given amount of time. Once it's there, now you have the knowledge of this as it comes into your team. So I, I think this model is applied in the DARPA, you know, the defense where mm-hmm. you kind of break down the problem, go to the experts, let them solve it and bring it together. So it keeps a very agile team and you don't have to create a big overhead and you have continuity of knowledge, right? Uh, as they come and work on it and they take it with them, right? Uh, so that's kind of what we try to do as a team here. I love it. I'm taking notes. <laughs> you see, because you, uh, an articulate explanation is worth so much, right? Like when you can say you break down the problem, you go to the experts, you bring it back together. That's like a very clear visual of, of things that are already happening, but you want to look at it that way. You want to look at it in that clear, simple way. That's with right. all of this, like to keep things clear and simple with all of this uh, knowledge and responsibility, like what are your thoughts on your know, reflection and how you take time to like step back? How do you do that on a day-to-day basis? I have priorities. Maybe I shouldn't use the word priorities. It's a priority, right? Uh, I, I try to, not just I, I think the entire team, I always like to say my top five priorities of the year are really that we come together. Uh, I actually write it down and I circulate it to my, uh, you know, my team members and say, guys, this is what I'm trying to think we should achieve. You guys all agree, right? And we come to it, then it really becomes a priority or a task list, if you want to call it, for the entire team. And they take that and say, yeah, it makes sense. Now I know what to do you know, in my domain, and we work together. We kind of put this up every month, every two months, and say, hey, this is what we said we'll do for 19. And the, kind of the top objectives of the R&D group haven't changed in the last six years, right? Uh, we say we have to be indispensable to our product groups. How do we offer service and what do we do? So that's one of them. Uh, We need to at least generate three game changer ideas, right? That needs to be vetted out and, you know, tried in in, in the gate review process. Uh, We say we, we have to develop the technology roadmap and give input into the strategy. 
how do we become the face to the OEM customers and to the market? Those large objectives never change, right? So if that's what I want to achieve, what should I be doing this year? So it impacts 2023 and 2025 and 2030. And ultimately it breaks down to, you know, uh, monthly and weekly tasks. I try to set up like a two or three hour blocks on my calendar uh, once or twice a week uh, where I try to uh, be digital free, <laughs> uh, not have anything around me, be able to sit around and say, here's a question that I want to think about. Are we doing the right thing? You know, should we pivot, should, you know, uh, step back a little bit, not the tactical. That helps me a lot. Uh, and like I said, I have a phenomenal team. It's just never one person, right? Uh, all the people around me are very uh, cohesive in the thinking. Uh, they're different. Everybody has a different strength, uh, but the goal is very aligned, right? And if you sit in some of the meetings, you might think we're having a fight, uh, but that's what I enjoy the most. Uh, there is no holds barred, uh, right, discussions, and we come out, and once we come out, though, we are all going, right? Uh, that's the one thing I've loved here. Uh, just if there's one thing I have to say, the, the transparency and the ability to have that, you know, free-spirited debate uh, is what helps get everything on the table. Right, because the last thing you want is the people being quiet and going away and having opinions they didn't bring up yeah. or object. You want everyone to just get everything out, everybody feel that they, they said their word, their ideas are out there, objections, you know, put out there and then we all decide on what we're going to do and we move forward. Absolutely. As exactly. Team. And, yeah. you know, how do you create the team? Then the team, you need to have somebody who is really good at execution, right? Uh, so that person always is like, okay, I like the idea. Uh, tell me how you're going to do it, right? And there is the, like the free thinker uh, who pushes the limit. And there is a person who knows how to articulate everything together. And there is this one person who always looks around the table and say, yeah, I don't know if all six of us are on the same page. Let's talk again. So if you have the right combination uh, in a team and you have that personalities, uh, that's when you really come together. And I've been fortunate to have that. So how do you spend time growing and mentoring your team? I mean, I, I do spend a lot of time uh, walking around. I should say, right? Uh, at least I'd like to think, and the real proof's in the pudding with my colleagues. Uh, it's not as much time in conference rooms or meetings. Uh, it's just sitting around a desk and talking through it. And I always believe that to the extent possible, you should be able to give the big picture why somebody's doing what they're asked to do, right? And then they see the overall picture is like, oh, I get it. That's where we are trying to go, right? Uh, that gives a sense of belonging in the bigger picture. I spend a little bit of time doing that so that everybody gets not just their piece, but how the piece that they're doing fits into the bigger picture. I love spending time uh, with interns and college students, whoever come our way, because I believe uh, it's a testing ground for them as well as for us, right? They like to see what we're doing and why it's an exciting place. And it's fulfilling sometimes to tell them, 
uh, that they don't have to make the same mistakes I made, right? It's like, hey, don't take that course now. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Do this project, try this out. Then when you go and look at that equation, it will make more sense for you. Uh, that I, I, I really love uh, doing if I can to the extent possible. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I'd say I would spend my time. I try to ask the question when people come and say, what's my next step? I think it's fundamentally very important for people to figure out at least to know what it is they want and be able to state it very clearly. Uh, then most times you can have a plan to work there. I, I think we can just only enable their dreams, but they first should be able to dream and articulate it very clearly. So what advice would you give to someone who can't, like they don't have a clear vision? Most of them, I think, have an inherent uh, desire to achieve something. Maybe they're not clearly articulating it as a vision. But what makes you happy, right? At the end of the day, uh, that's what you should be trying to achieve. Uh, I think asking enough questions will lead to, to somewhat, at least maybe not a, a statement, but you can guess where that person will flourish and you know, is happy, right? All we can do is try to bring that to the surface. Uh, and, and then it's, honestly, I, I believe it's very much on the individual to take accountability uh, to achieve what they want. Our job is to make sure we take care of the hurdles and how can I help in the roadmap? I like that. I'm a big fan of the individual ownership and discipline. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's a requirement for all people who are achieving success. Yep. So, and I like that you said, you know, what makes you happy. And I also noticed that in your career, you, you said that, you know, you did some analyst stuff. You did, then did some launching, some work in the operations facility. So what about trying new things, like trying different things, new things and figuring out like, what makes you happy? Again, looking back, I think uh, if you can put a smile on somebody's face, right? And the bigger the smile, the more the number of people. Uh, I think you achieved what you wanted to. And it doesn't really only have to be technology. It could be technology. It could be a financial model. It could be, you know, ease of use of something. Um, every one of those things, I think, should, you know, uh, should get you a sense of accomplishment. I mean, I always believe that nothing is negative. Uh, it's all positive. You just got to find something that you can empathize and whether you are aligned with it. Uh, people ask me, so where did you come to this country, right? I saw a sense of freedom and I saw a lot of uh, uh, things you can take in your own hands, right, uh, and pursue. Uh, doesn't mean the other side was bad. It's just that my character or my demeanor, um, I couldn't do as much. So I said, let's go try this. And that's always been my thought process. If uh, something is not working out exactly the way you want to, uh, it could be the system or it could be you. First figure out which one it is <laughs> and then just fix it and move on. Don't complain, right? So as we start to wrap up here, what, what, is, what are you most excited about? What's putting the biggest smile on your face? Oh, I, we are in an industry right now that's going through a huge disruption, right? Uh, whether it's 
helping the environment with electrification, uh, providing additional safety with assisted driving, dreaming about you know fully autonomous cars in the future, uh, phenomenal business models where people are talking about the hybrid of ownership uh, plus mobility provided as a service. Just in general, I think we're in exciting times. Look at what's happening in the medical industry and uh, we're talking of life's 100 years of life is nothing. You could live a lot longer than that. So uh, like I said, all of the things around you, just connect the dots and there's no limit to the world. I love that. Especially if Elon Musk gets his Neuralink going, then you can just save your state. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Have you gotten to meet him yet? Uh, no, I've not. I've not gotten. Maybe to in the future. We're like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying sure. to set up a, an event where we interview him and then bring in you know, 10 different CTOs, CIOs. So if we get that set up, um, we're looking at like the end of the year, beginning of next, I'll let you know and, and invite you out. Oh, absolutely. Love you. I mean, that'll be a phen phenomenal uh, experience, Joel. And by the way, I have a couple of offers for you. If you ever want to see a phenomenal automotive tier one factory, okay. call us. Okay. Uh, we have some interesting innovation challenges within the company where uh, the employees get to come up with an idea and we have like five finally selected. They come and present to the management team. If you're interested, you could be one of the judge. Oh, very um, cool. I'm yeah, really we'll do that, that for sure. Yeah, I'll have Chloe okay. connect back. And that that sounds like a real good uh, like excuse, a real good time and place for us to to meet. That sounds awesome. Absolutely, Joel. So this is great. This has been fantastic yeah. meeting you. Thanks, Joel. Same here. Yeah. I, I read your uh, I read your bunch of articles. The book you wrote is on my list. I'm taking with me tomorrow into the plane. Oh, nice. Yeah, there's, it's a great like personal story of me going from developer to CTO. And then we yes. just, uh, just before this call, we had a meeting with Jake. We're working on our second book called Tech Titans, which is a summary of, you know, culture, leadership, all the different things I've been learning from great leaders like you over the past uh, two years here on the show. Phenomenal. Thanks, Joel. So I'll send you a copy of that when we have it out. Fantastic. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.